Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Father Thomas Morrow, graduated from St. Charles Seminary in Philadelphia, was ordained in 1982 in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. Uh, he has his STL in Moral Theology from the Dominican House of Studies and received his doctorate in Sacred Theology from the Pontifical University's John Paul II Institute and in Studies of Marriage and Family in 1999. Father, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. My pleasure. So today we're going to be talking about uh, your latest book that if anyone listening says they can't relate to, they are living in a fantasy land. Uh, because it's talking about overcoming sinful thoughts out by uh, Sophia Press. So what what prompted you to write the book about sinful thoughts, something every one of us has? Well, actually, it was the uh, publishers that uh, suggested the title, and uh, it sounded pretty good to me, and uh, there are a lot of things that people seem to think that uh, cause them to... Uh, in bad directions. Uh, so you so, talk, yeah, and you talk in the beginning, right? In the very beginning, you talk about what are sinful thoughts. So, what are some of those thoughts that people have? And we can get into some more detail as we get into some of the chapters in the book. But you know, what are sinful thoughts, and what aren't sinful thoughts that some people might think are? Uh, well, sinful thoughts are thoughts that uh, we might have that uh, are wrong, but they're, they're also they uh, tend to uh, slow us in our journey toward God. And uh, so, in other words, if I have a, a wrong thought about uh, when uh, the United States, uh, you know, when America was discovered, uh, that's probably not going to cause me a lot of trouble uh, for the most part. But uh, if I have a, uh, a, a thought that uh, maybe there's no God because there's so much suffering, or maybe... Uh, I shouldn't go to confession because I always confess the same sin. Those are thoughts that will keep us from getting close to God. Um, so are all sinful thoughts from the evil one, or do we sometimes just come up with them on our own? How do we get those thoughts in our head? Well, I think the evil one is pretty much <laughs> involved in just about all of them. <laughs> uh, we, uh, we have a tendency to... to you know, get into some of them ourselves, but uh, I think the devil is uh, encouraging us to worry about things that we don't need to worry about, and also to things, think things that uh, will dampen our, our journey, our, our relationship with the Lord. You know, one of the things I liked how you did in the book, you talk a lot about the saints, and uh, they had to deal with everything we're dealing with, so it isn't like you know, they were immune from thoughts of evil or sinful thoughts, but they were able to kind of conquer those. And I thought you did a good exam- good job of relating that so, to, so that people can be encouraged that they don't have to succumb to these. They actually fight them and they can win. Amen. Yeah, they, uh, uh, that's the nice thing about uh, the human brain is that we're able to uh, figure things out and, and walk into different directions and not give in to some of the feelings we may have that are harmful. Well, and, you know, sinful thoughts, right, if we don't act upon them and get them out, 
don't really cause us any harm. It's when we don't try to eradicate them or we let them kind of fester and marinate in our brain that it could lead to actions that can lead us into, you know, grave mortal sin. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so when you were writing the book, uh, again, you have a lot of uh, different examples of it. What prompted you to do it? Are these things that, you know, you've heard regularly in the confessional or just through conversation? What kind of prompted you to say, you know what, we need to, I know the publisher came up with the title, but in terms of the uh, thought process and really helping people be aware that this is common, so don't let the evil one kind of lie to you that you're the only one who thinks this. Right, right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of these I came up with, some of them, uh, the editors at Sophia Press came up with. So uh, I said, yeah, these are these are thoughts that we hear a lot, uh, you know, just just by talking to people, but also, I suppose, in the professionals sometimes, too. So we had uh, Father Timothy Gallagher on probably, I don't know, a month or so ago, several weeks ago, and he, we were talking about discernment of spirits. How important is it for people to be able to discern spirits so that they can actually discern these thoughts and, and be able to identify the ones that are so troubling and, and kind of get them out of the way. Yeah, it's very important that they have those, uh, they're able to discern spirits, and that comes uh, mostly through prayer. We've we got to pray if we're going to be able to figure out uh, what spirits are, uh, you know, pulling us away from where we want to be. Well, and I, you know, I did notice uh, on a lot of the titles, uh, you know, it can be, you know, whether it's I'm the best or I need to succeed or I deserve, you know, when me, myself and I are my three favorite friends, that's probably uh, a recipe for disaster. But that kind of narcissism really can lead to a fostering and nurturing of those evil thoughts, can't they? Yes, absolutely. Uh, years ago, it must have been in the late 70s, Christopher Lash wrote a book called The Cultural Narcissism, and uh, he should write a sequel now because things are worse. <laughs> <laughs> Evidently, they didn't read the first one, yeah. And we're more narcissistic now than we were, than we were uh, 35 years ago. Um, the evil one does really like to make us think we are the only ones who think these things and really to kind of keep them quiet, right? Don't bring this out into the light. You know, let, you know, you need to really stew on this and this is your problem. So the lies are not only in the thoughts, but on his kind of leading us to kind of suppress these and not bring them out into the open, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And we need to, uh, to report them to our uh, spiritual director or whatever. And uh, and bring them out there and uh, look at them and uh, work on them and, and uh, say, yeah, some of these things are just flat out wrong. Some of them are not wrong, but they they uh, ruin our peace and ruin our joy. So uh, all these things are, are helpful. Even if a few of them are true, it's sin- sinful to hang on to thoughts that, uh, that make us sad and, and miserable. Uh, it's all right to harm them if they're right. But it's uh, wrong to hang on to those thoughts and let them uh, dominate our our uh, psyche. You know, when looking through the book and, and looking at the different titles, it, it, it also reminded me that, look, if you're hanging around people that are perpetuating some of these thoughts, 
or telling you some of these thoughts, these are probably not people you want to be hanging around. So it really is a good way to kind of sift through who should I keep close to me and who shouldn't I? Because we do all know people who speak like a lot of the titles in here, like, you know, the devil doesn't really exist and all these type of things. And if we're hanging around these people, then them just their lives could be putting these thoughts in our head. So it really can help us kind of weed out friends, can it? Yeah, we got to choose our friends carefully. I mean, we have we have friends that support us, and those are our most important friends. Then we have other friends that don't support us, but they need our support, and we need uh, they need us to help them get straightened out, or little by little. So uh, we have to uh, be willing to deal with them, but not not draw our strength from them. Draw our strength from the friends that are solid and and that are. Uh, uh, walking with the Lord. Uh, I mentioned before you mentioned uh, several different saints in the book. Who are some of the saints that you talked about, and why is it important to get to get their know their lives so that we can uh, do battle like they did as we live here as the church militant? Well, because they they uh, again, as you said, I mean they they deal they had to deal with some of the things <clears throat> we deal with, and uh, you have people like uh, Saint Camillus who who kept committing the same sins for years, and he had to convert, and then he'd fall back, and he'd convert and he'd fall back. But eventually he, he, uh, he made his way out of it and uh, became extremely holy and, and did great things for the Church. So uh, uh, some people, you know, some of the saints struggled with getting their prayers to be heard. Um, they... Uh, some people were, you know, were very proud. Uh, some of the saints were very proud, and they, they realized they had to change and and uh, follow the way of Christ and, and the saints, and that is to uh, realize that God God is great and we are small. And uh, so they did that. And uh, I'm thinking of Margaret Cortona, who led a life of sin uh, for nine years, and uh, went around on a big white horse and had her nose in the air and wearing fancy clothes. And uh, finally, she, she prayed that uh, she would be formed, and her lover was killed. And she said, i gotta, I got to do something. i got to change my life, or I'm going to end up in hell. And she really uh, totally reformed and, and, and uh, went away from the castle where she was living and uh, went to Cortona and found a Franciscan who heard her confession and told her that God loved her and he wanted her back. So uh, we that's what our prayer does. It kind of leads us toward people that are going to help us to reform and straighten out. Well, and I think the other part that prayer is so important, especially if we can grow in our relationship with that great gift we received at our baptism, the Holy Spirit, because yeah. it's not only that we're hearing, you know, we get negative thoughts from the evil one, right? We have the Holy Spirit who gives us these positive thoughts and helps us discern these type of things. So the more we grow in that relationship, and I would think, as you were just mentioning, the more we pray and grow with our, our knowledge of the Holy Spirit, the better we're going to be able to fortify ourselves against this stuff, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Prayer is the foundation of everything good. So uh, it's not it's not the only thing. We, we have to do something with the grace that we get when we pray. But everything begins with prayer. 
You know, it's you know, and I mentioned you know some of these titles that I think uh, you know can relate to people. Whether it's you know I deserve everything I have, right? I'm I'm kind of in charge. That's kind of what the world tells us. You can do whatever you want to do, and God's kind of ancillary in the process. Um, so stuff like that, or go ahead, it's only a venial sin, right? I only have to worry about the mortal sins. You know, these these are the things that again can fester in our lives to really disrupt our lives, and not only a relationship with the Lord, our relationship with loved ones, friends, co-workers, when we start buying into these things, we're not very fun people to be around. Absolutely. <laughs> there are a lot of negative people that uh, that uh, that fall into sin, and then they, they want to justify their sin. And, uh, and what a lot of people don't realize is that by turning away from sin, uh, we have the opportunity to become happy, and uh, if you, and that's why the saints are so important because you realize when you read their lives that uh, they were virtuous and they were happy. You know, and, and when people live lives of sins, uh, they're not happy. They, they live kind of a life of, of uh, an addict who needs another fix from their sins. And uh, they don't they don't find the happiness that they're looking for. Well, that's maybe one of the greatest lies of all, right? To to find to look for that happiness that we all want in all the wrong places, and have the evil one say, you know, it's going to be in, you know, pornography, or it's going to be in gambling, it's going to be in whatever situation, and it ends up being a it ends up being a real bag of nothing, right? You end up getting that's there, true. and you're like how did I get here? What's going on? And I'm as far from happiness as I've ever been. Right. So that lie, those lies really lead you away from that joy and happiness that you were talking about. Absolutely. You know, St. Augustine's a wonderful example of that, that he, uh, he led a life of, of sin and, and then he, he realized that, uh, it wasn't there. I mean, that, that, that's not what, uh, that didn't make him happy. And so, but, but the transition is difficult because, it's like an addict getting away from you know what he's addicted to. At first, you have a, a, a period of dryness and uh, you feel empty, and then when you latch on to the, the things of God, everything begins to begins to blossom again, and then you have a, a, a joy that lasts. It doesn't just come and go, but it lasts. It's every day and every week and every month. Well, and one of the you know themes I picked up on in just a couple of them were. You know, it's almost like people like to pretend they're victims, right? I can't help acting out my temptations. You know, I, uh, you know, God is not fair, I so I don't need to be fair. I mean, it's almost like I can't control my feelings. It's almost like this uh, separating yourself and blaming other people for your problems when in the end it's, hey, how about rolling up your shirt sleeves and getting to work and fixing these things? Absolutely, absolutely. It all begins with prayer, but then once you have the grace that comes with prayer, you've got to, as you say, roll up your sleeves and, and uh, as we say in sports, suck it up and, and, uh, and do the hard stuff and, uh, and realize that if you, if you see the lives of the saints, you realize that uh, yeah, it's tough at first, but uh, once you get going in your life with God, it's really uh, very enriching, very uh, joyful. And we and do. All the saints were happy. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, that took him some time to get there, right? St. Teresa of Avila, uh, you know, had to work at it for quite a while. But when she picked it up, I mean, it, it makes all the difference. But I think, and if you look at her life and the saints of, and the lives of other saints, even when you get to that point and you feel really close to the Lord, you still have to be on guard with these thoughts because the evil one doesn't give up that easy, does he? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, so it is important for us to remind ourselves that these thoughts are common, but what we do with them depends on our relationship with the Lord and how serious we are in wanting to grow in that relationship. For people who read this book, what are you hoping, when they, when they end up putting it down, what are you hoping they take away from this in terms of changing their lives? Well, of course, these thoughts will not... Not every thought here will apply, reply, apply to every person, but each person will have something that will uh, jump out at, the, at them, we hope, and uh, they'll realize that, uh, hey, I need to work on some of these things. I may need, uh, some people may need therapy to help them uh, overcome them, uh, but some of them need uh, spiritual directors, and uh, we, if we uh, are honest about the fact that some of these things are, are way off, that uh, we need we need to uh, pursue a plan to get beyond these things and to govern uh, the way we think and not be governed by freedom feeling because we can't control freedom feelings but we can control what what we do with those feelings and uh, by doing that then we can move beyond some of these things that hold us back. Uh, the other thing, you know, looking at this and just going through it. It seems to me, and I don't know if you've had anybody reach out to you about this, but it seems to me this would be a great family book to read. You know, to read one of these chapters and then just talk about the chapter. Because, you know, as we all know, parents are supposed to be the primary teachers of the faith. And to talk about these things, especially when kids are young, uh, really should raise awareness in the family and open communication, something the devil really hates when people communicate. Yeah, especially when families stick together. Yeah, no, I think that that would be a good idea because uh, uh, you know I, the theology in here is not uh, is not uh, simple, but uh, the language is pretty simple, and so a lot of uh, family members, young people, can understand some of the things that we've said here. Well, and I did, I think you did write it at a at a great level for people to understand. I mean, it's it, it's easy to understand and it's very relatable because, as you said, we may not have had all these thoughts. Although uh, I'm ashamed to say I had way too many of these. Um, it really is uh, something that anybody can pick up, anybody can read, and I think it would make uh, a great family activity because we're always looking for things to do. You know, turn the TV off and read the book and discuss it, I, I can imagine conversations going in a lot of different directions, but really bringing a lot of fruit to the family. And, you know, probably from what you've seen, I know you do a lot of stuff regarding family. The family is really under attack right now, aren't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so anything that can bring us together as families is uh, would be a blessing. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, these are things that, that are fundamental to living the faith. And that's what we need in the families. We need to, to help each other to live the faith. Well, and I think, you know, and if we read the Gospels, read Scripture like we should on a regular basis, 
all a lot of a lot, if not all of these thoughts that pop into our head, uh, we can really see Christ talking about them in Scripture, warning us about things that are going on. I mean, Jesus spent right, forty days in the desert after being baptized. The devil tempted him three different times. So to think any of us are going to get out of here without uh, these attacks, we'd be living in fantasy land, wouldn't we? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> we live in a, a, a Chinese proverb, but you live in interesting times. Uh, that's a curse, actually. And uh, we certainly do live in, in interesting times where uh, people are pointing out uh, evil as good and uh, good as evil. It's, a, it's kind of a crazy time we live in. Yeah, it's like we're living the screw tape letters, isn't it? Yeah, right. <laughs> and you're right. I mean, I think, you know, that's the other thing people need to, uh, I think, understand is the devil is very opportunistic. And if society's going in a particular way, he will continue to push and use whatever materials out there to convince you to go in a direction you don't want to go. So he is opportunistic, isn't he? And he does play on our weaknesses so is how important is it to know our weaknesses so that we can fend him off at those at the pass uh, that's extremely important and, and uh uh like an example that comes to mind when we talk about weaknesses is loneliness when people are lonely uh, they have a tendency to grab onto any kind of relationship uh good or bad to draw them out of that instead of addressing the loneliness itself so in the book, we we actually uh, did a little research, and uh, we mentioned uh, a book that was written on loneliness that's very useful, and uh, we pulled out of that book some of the main points that they could pursue to overcome loneliness. So that, but but if the devil knows you're lonely, he's going to tell you, well, you need this relationship, even though it's a wrong relationship, because otherwise you're going to be in the misery of, of loneliness. And uh, the truth is that we need to address the loneliness and not cover it over with a sinful band-aid. Well, and just like, you know, just like lions or whatever, right? They like to peek, pick out the weakest of who they're hunting, separate them, and then yeah. then they become fallen prey. And the evil one's no different, right? We, he, we know he's a prowling lion, right? We hear that in Scripture. But he does like to keep us isolated. He likes to keep us lonely. It's like the person who looks at pornography late at night. You know, they're, they're by themselves. They're, they think no, they're not hurting anyone. And then they get the shame that they don't want to bring up because the evil one says, no one will understand. How could you have done this? And he really does. He is the master manipulator. And if we're not, you know, uh, playing with our A game, we're in trouble. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's always there ready to help us go down the wrong path. So we don't have to think a lot about the devil, but uh, we should think about uh, the Lord and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus on the cross and realize that uh, if we're not willing to carry the cross, we're we're not going to be worthy of Christ. That's especially true as we meditate in Lent on the uh, stations of the cross. Yeah, I think that's a great point, right? We're, We're in Lent. I think we not only have the stations of the cross, but, you know, we can go back to the garden and the original sin. I mean, just that conversation between the serpent and Eve should shed yeah. as much light as you need, especially uh, to pick up this book, because that's exactly how those conversations and thoughts kind of play in our mind, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And the, the devil is the father of all lies. So he's going to uh, 
tell us, this doesn't work, uh, living in faith, you'll be miserable, you'll always be sad, you won't be able to have what you want, so on and so forth. And the truth is, what the devil offers us is uh, like candy, but, but it's a candy with poison in it. And unfortunately, it looks too good to pass up sometimes, and then we take it, and we wonder why, how, who, what, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we end up lost. And, you know, one of the chapters of the book, and, you know, as we are in, you know, Lent, going to confession is too embarrassing. I don't remember how. It's easier not to go. Right? That's the evil one. He does not want us to go to confession, which is precisely what each and every one of us need to do on a regular basis, isn't it? Absolutely. And priests priest are there. Most priests will, uh, you know, lead you through an act of contrition. Most priests will. Well, sometimes when people go to confession, uh, and they, it's been uh, a year or five years or whatever, I say, you want some help? And uh, yeah, sometimes they'll say, yeah, I do need help. And so I'll go through a list, actually, we actually published a little card that has a list of all the mortal sins. So I'll go through that list, and uh, I'll say, what about this? What about that? What about that? And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And I'll say, yeah, that's, that's very helpful. And then uh, if it's a confession of somebody who hasn't been a confession for 20, 25 years, I'll say, okay, well, today we'll just hit the mortal sins, and, uh, because you don't have to confess all your venial sins, but you should be sorry for them. But uh, next time you go to confession, then you can go down this other list of venial sins. But usually we have little cards in the confessional uh, to have people uh, recite the act of contrition and to, to pray it with heart. And uh, if, they, you know, if they have forgotten it, that's not an embarrassment. When I was a kid, uh, maybe the priest would be a little bit more strong in, in uh, telling us, you know, we should know they have contrition or whatever. But uh, nowadays, we know things are quite different. They're not as quite as regimented as they were in the 1950s, 60s. And so we're we're much more relaxed about people, whether they even know how to do confession, and also whether they know they have contrition, whether they're there to help them. Well, and again, the book we were just talking about, Overcoming Sinful Thoughts, from Sophia Press by Father Thomas Morrow. Uh, Father, how can people follow what you're doing? Do you have a website or anything? Yeah, we have a website. C as in Catholic, M as in Alive.com. CFalive.com. And we have a lot of literature, including the thing I just mentioned, on the, the guide to go to confession. And uh, we have stations of Christ there. We have uh, a book on the rosary. Uh, we have some of uh, my other books on there. 